Attention, attention. This is a special report. On October 2nd at 6.45 a.m., mass murderer Horace Pinker was put to death. And now he's really mad. So no more Mr. Nice Guy. That's right. We watched Shocker, a lesser-known Wes Craven film. We watched it so you don't have to. But you should. So you know what that means. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of Horrible Horror, the podcast where we watch the worst of the worst in horror movies. Movies so bad, they're scary. Today is a special episode as we are dedicating this to uh, Wes Craven, who, as of ti- our time of recording, had passed away a week ago yesterday. Uh, everybody by now knows he passed away of brain cancer. So it's been about a week. It's been yeah. a week. But uh, this is our tribute show to him, so we are doing... One of his lesser-known movies, Shocker. Now, the diehard horror fan probably knows that Wes Craven did this, but for the general horror fan moviegoer, maybe most people might not know that this is one of his earlier movies. Anyway, I'm Marshall Hampton, the host. With me, as always, is Mr. Aaron Southworth. Hello. How's it going? How's it going? It's going all right. Doing, hey. doing pretty good. Pretty, uh, feeling a little, little electricity in the air, perhaps. Is it shocking? It is shocking. It's yeah, shocking. It's something. Uh, with us today is... Another guest of ours, so back-to-back weeks with a guest. Uh, Aaron, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest this week? This is a friend of mine who I've, I've met uh, kind of through other friends, which is always kind of funny. But yes, Mr. Matt File, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about Wes Craven. Okay. So I don't, right. have, also, any, I don't have any good electricity funds. I'm sorry. No, I'm oh, I'm going to try to see how many I can fit into this entire podcast. All right, great. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, so starting, like I said, we're starting with Shocker. And this was uh, after the initial Nightmare on Elm Street movie. This was... October 27th, 1989 is its release date. It was written and directed by Wes Craven uh, and has a runtime of an hour and 50 minutes. So it's actually a pretty long movie for given the time. And plus, being a horror movie in the 80s, they didn't really run that long. Right. They usually didn't run too, too long because, you know, you want to get you want to get in. You want to see some tits. You want to see some people get killed. And then you want to get out with a nice, you know, happy, you know, ending tied up. Yeah. You know, that but, was pretty much your 80s horror movie. Yeah. This was hour and 50 minutes. Uh, I found it on Amazon Instant slash Amazon Prime or whatever. Uh, I'm assuming, I, Aaron, you probably did Xbox at the end or something. I found it through Xbox, the Microsoft service. Matt? Yeah, I downloaded it from some random website I just found and, you know, <laughs> yeah, Risky. Yeah. <laughs> but, all yeah. Right. yeah, I'm a, I'm a rebellious. It plays with fire. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, one thing to know about this movie is that it actually has a pretty good cast for a horror movie in the 80s. Uh, a lot of people that went on to do other things, and a lot of established character actors at the time as well. Uh, it had starts Peter Berg, who most people probably know him, or at least recognize him. Uh, he plays Jonathan Parker. And the other kind of major names that are kind of throughout this movie, with not mentioning all the cameos that are in it, um, you have Mitch Pelegi, who plays Horace Pinker, the main antagonist, the, the killer. I just call him Shocker. Yeah, shocker. But most fans will know, especially sci-fi fans, he is 
He played uh, Walter Skinner on the X-Files. So that's why his biggest claim to fame is the X-Files role. Yeah, yeah. When I saw him, I was like, oh, shit, that's Skinner. That was yeah. the very first thing I thought of. Yeah, he's yeah. actually, he does a really good job in this movie. I like to want to see more pinker scenes, really. Um, and then you have Michael Murphy, who plays Lieutenant Parker, uh, Peter Berg's father. And he's got 108 credits to his name. So a really good character. But to me, his most most memorable roles were he was the mayor in Batman Returns. <laughs> and he played Warren Worthington II, which is Angel's father in X Men: The Last Stand. That's right. That's he what I did. recognized him from. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's good. I, sp- I spent about maybe fifty minutes out of the hour fifty on IMDb the whole time I was watching this movie because remembering it from my childhood, I'm just like, where is that guy from again? And, and yeah, you know, yeah. You do that the whole movie. And also another '80s, '90s uh, classic in John Tesh who played yeah. the news oh, anchor. Man. I wanted mm-hmm. to drop that. Yeah, just uh, John Tesh. He was entertainment tonight all the way. Yeah. Man, I love John Tesh. That <laughs> hair, that big jaw. God, yeah. he's a weird looking dude. Uh, Ted Raimi is in the movie. Uh, you have cameos by Heather Langenkamp, who was famous from Nancy from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep. She makes a cam very, very brief, but she is in it. Uh, and then you also have, I just mentioned this for our, for our local roots connection, uh, Sam Scarber who plays the coach, like the college coach, football coach in this movie, is from St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, good and he had he was also he was referee number three in the karate kid. <laughs> oh, and that's he was role right there. And he was in over the top, <laughs> the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling movie. Sweet. <laughs> Fantastic. So um, yeah, moving on. We're gonna jump into the movie now. I'll get to the other cameos neither as we come to them or uh, at the end when we start wrapping up. Uh, so basically, the movie opens up with some awesome 1980s metal. Some I, sweet, it's great sweet metal. shocker rock. Yeah. yeah. And to be honest, I was doing my research to this. The soundtrack for this movie is like coveted by horror fans like and fans alike. It's just, but it's also really hard to get. So it's like one of those diamond yeah. in the rough. like, if you can find this soundtrack, oh, it's gold. Hold on to it. Yeah. 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 I, well, it's got some good songs in it. It's got some Alice Cooper. It's, it's got, got Motley Crue. It's got, I mean, yeah. it's all like 80s and this, hair the metal. The song, it's uh, Ace Freely or something, right? Isn't it Ace Freely's band, the opening song? Yeah, so, yeah. It's, something along those lines it's, or it was, it was band or something? Pretty, it was, it, I think it was made for the movie, wasn't it? It, it was, might have been. That I, mm-hmm. I don't have, but it could have been. Yeah, because it was well, very... But it's all like, just turn around, there's a sh- it's shocker. So anyway, it opens with a guy in this dirty, cluttered TV repair shop fixing tvs and you notice he has a very very pronounced limp which is a running thing throughout the entire movie and you see a bloody knife on the counter with all the tv repair parts and you hear a news reporter in the background a serial killer who keeps killing and he's so smart because he keeps eluding the police and the police don't even know who he is or how to get he's just makes the police look stupid yeah so i thought that was kind of funny too it's like they talk about how his his incredible physical strength and and genius level intelligence. Yeah, and that's really not the case. No, it's really not. <laughs> uh, He's a strong dude, yes, but is he is he a genius? No, no, I, no probably not. Uh, so we after all that opening scene, we meet Peter Berg or Jonathan Parker, uh, who's the main character, and he's a couch football star of this made up local college. local community college. Even though the coach keeps saying. You have it all. You could be something special. You could be a legend. But he's at basically like a junior college. So right. it's like he's not that good. Uh, and we uh, we meet his girlfriend, Allison, who plays a big part in the, throughout the movie. Uh, I do want to mention in this one scene before he actually goes to the football practice, uh, he's 
because you watch in Giant Touch in your report, and then he changes the channel to like his football highlights or something. And there's a girl working at this like little concession stand, this blonde girl. Right. Yeah. Well, that blonde girl on the other camera happened to be Jessica Craven, Wes Craven's daughter, oh. that he put in this movie. His <laughs> son, his son is also in the movie. Plays a jogger. Yes. yes. Who comes up later? So I just want to get that out there. So two Cravens and Wes Craven himself is in the movie as well. Uh, so anyway, it's meet, a Craven trifecta. It is a Craven trifecta, mm-hmm. and so he has football practice and blah blah blah, and they kind of pull off some you know eight cheesy cliche football comedy gimmicks where he's running and looking at the pretty girls, and then he he gets nailed. And he gets nailed, and then the next play he's looking at the girls, he's trash talking, and he runs headfirst into the goalpost, and then he gets up, and then. Trips over he trips over the, the whole Gatorade table. So there's a lot of the whole football slapstick. It's like I was will. waiting for a banana peel to be out there and like, whoa. But, yeah. <laughs> so after that, you know, he's like, he's like, you see him and Allison walking home. And you kind of notice that this, the light's different. Like it's a very gray scene. And you see this, as they walk up, you see like this line of kids run across the screen and as they get to the end screen, they start disappearing. Like, they just vanish into thin air. And I'm like, okay, this suddenly now has a very Nightmare on Elm Street feel to I it. was thinking the exact same thing. I'm thinking, this is just a block down from Nightmare Yeah, it's like Elm Street. It's like, it's like yeah. Elm Street, and then there's this Oak, street. Like Oak Street or right, something. Like, this because is Oak. these, and it's just, it's just this, the city itself, the town itself, has a very Elm Street Yeah, it has a, a kind of a small town. Like, not that small, but like medium-sized, smallish town. Where kind of everybody knows each other. You got the main drag and like a bunch of little suburban homes lining the streets. And then he, you know, he comes up to, and we find like, okay, now they're on the house, the street where he grew up in this old house. And there's a TV repair van out front, and the van says Pinker TV Repair. And again, you're like, this is where he walks up to the house and he turns around and says, Allison, Allison's gone. gone. So again, it's like, okay, now, like, gee. Come on, Wes. Like you just did Nightmare on Elm Street. Let's let's branch out here a little bit. Uh, uh, so inside, he finds the dead body of Bobby. Who at this point we don't know who the fuck Bobby is. He's just some dead guy. And we hear a scream upstairs. He runs up, and there's a woman and a little girl back in the corner by Pinker with this giant like honey knife, bow knife, or whatever. It's a huge ass knife. And she's like, Jonathan, do something. Get him out of here. Get him. And so at this point, I'm assuming, okay, it's his mother and younger sister or something. Um, you know, Jonathan Pinker exchange some words, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Jonathan dives at Pinker, but he, he dives through him. Yeah. Like he gets sucked into his torso like he dives and disappears. Into, like he disappears into his stomach. He just yeah. gets sucked into this man. And we're like, what the f- yeah. Jesus. And now he wakes up in bed next and he's screaming and Allison's there next to him. And like, okay, definitely, you know, okay, now we're in dream sequence, dreamland again. Another fun little uh, Friday 13th, or Friday 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street little tidbit, waterbed. Yep, I, I saw the same thing, like, oh, this is a waterbed. Jesus, we're going to see it. Are we so Wes Craven again? likes creepy towns and waterbeds. You know what else, like, caught my ear initially? Like, I was watching it and, and he goes into his little dream sequence and he sees the repair van and he says, nobody gets their TV repaired this late. And you're like, why? Like, why can't you get your TV repaired when it's dusk? Like, yeah. what's the problem with that? Maybe the guy works extra hard. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Plus, you know, with cable guys, you know, oh, we'll be there between one and oh seven o'clock in the evening. Yeah, it's right. just like, yeah. it's just like an excuse for him to go in the house that they couldn't think of ones that are like, oh, let's put a TV repair van <laughs> and make it too late for him to be there. So, <laughs> so Alice is like, oh yeah, I stayed over because I was worried about you because you hit your head so hard. I'm like, if you worry he's got a fucking concussion, you don't let him pass out and sleep that much. <laughs> I, it, you are a nurse, but, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but is that like concussion 101? Do not sleep. You 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 don't let him sleep, uh, and then for like the first twelve hours post concussion, then yeah, when you this do, is like an hour. You have to wake him up like every hour to make sure that everything's okay, because you can it can possibly get worse. Yeah, he's been and asleep twenty four hours. Do you think something's wrong? You can't tell. <laughs> so she after they wake up, he gets a phone call from his dad, Lieutenant Parker, and he's like, "Yeah, you better come check this out or whatever," and. We find out that his parents have now been, or his mom and his sister, Bobby, have now been murdered just like he dreamt it. So now, we're, again, we're just, it's really eerily similar to, like, Elm Street stuff. The dreams and the... And, like, yeah. yeah. But the weird thing is, like, I don't understand exactly what's going on because... How do I explain it? Okay. The house they're in, Jonathan's house that wakes up, is basically, the, we find out later that it's the house he's living in now. His dad, apparently, I think, lives there with him. So he's living with his dad in this house. And, but yet, when they go back to this other house, why is, why are there two different homes? Like, why is his parents, his mom and sister, being, and this Bobby guy, which maybe is a brother, who knows, murdered in this house, which should be his house? I was confused also, but really, it's, uh, I think he lives by himself. I think he lives by himself or with that girl. In That's, because what co- junior college? Okay, maybe it's not junior college, but what college person can afford to live in a house that big by themselves? He ha- he certainly doesn't have a job. He never seen. He's, he does I, have a scholarship. I would yeah. say his daddy's a lawyer, but I guess not. I guess his yeah. he's a cop. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> he's like an average. And they're like, I mean, the later in the movie, they talk. They're talking about like selling the house. So like his dad, I swear, like lives him like there with him. It's really confusing. Like, why are there two different homes? But anyway, so yeah, that happens. They murder just like in the dream, and he help, he's like, okay, you know what? I dreamt this. This is exactly what I saw. Blah blah blah. He's like, let me help you. I, I know I, I know I can find this guy. I know that you know. Yeah, painter. he tells his dad. He says, okay, well, I know who the killer is. I had him in a dream. I know what he looks like. We can find him. I, you know, it's all based on the dream. The dad's like, I don't like this, but. All right, sure. <laughs> Why not? Well, and also he he sees his dad at the murder scene. He doesn't bring it up then. He invites him to coffee. What appears to be like four or five days later. Like, right? Yeah, you, that's like, a good point. Like, like, why wouldn't you tell him right then? I guess like, maybe you know? it's supposed to be next morning, but yeah, it's definitely. Uh, <laughs> or, I don't know when. Yeah, not exactly. Yeah. It was, it was not at the, the scene. Yeah, I feel like the, the funerals funeral. are done, so you're talking like yeah, maybe two a week or three later. Days, yeah. All of a sudden, you know. Yeah, oh, the time. Hey, by the way, I had this dream. The time lapse of this movie is very vague. You really have no idea how much time passes in this movie. And it gets even worse later. Uh, so anyway, Pinker, uh, so Lieutenant Parker and Jonathan and several other cops eventually, they pull up in front of Pinker's television repair, his workshop, and they're ready to raid the place. But it's not, I shouldn't even call it raid. It's like four cops, I think, total maybe. They're knocking on the door, hoping he answers. He's not answering. Yeah. And they're like, well, we're going to break in. We're going to act like we're investigating a breaking and entering. And so yeah, they, I think, yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, we can't break in. That's the phone. like, uh, it was already broken into. We're, yeah, yeah investigating. So they, sh- so they basically break in. in. And, you know, shit, of course, shit happens. And uh, Pinker escapes. He, he, he has like this secret passage where he drags the sergeant behind, kills him, and then 
puts on his clothes and he goes out and kills two of the cops outside and it drives off in his van. My favorite is when he's driving away. Like he's driving away in his van. It's it's a very identifiable piece of equipment. Well, because like it says Pinker's the, television be the part best, of the side of it. The yeah. best is when he drives away, his van kind of ramps up, takes out the car door of the cop's car, and he goes, Yeah! <laughs> you know, like he's so excited. It's not like a maniacal laugh, like nope. <laughs> something like that. He's driving on like, fuck yeah, dude! <laughs> he's just loving it. So, he sounds like a ninja turtle. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kinda, I was waiting for Cowabunga. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we'll cover the kills real quick. Um, the first ones we actually see on camera, and they're pretty lame. They're, they're, he stabs black cop in the stomach, female black cop in the stomach, and then quickly slashes the throat of cop number two. Um, and you do see the sergeant that he killed just covered in blood. Yeah. Mostly, yeah, but you don't really see it. And then it's kind of humorous the way, just the way he's laying there, but you see he's killed a third, fourth cop. <laughs> He's basically strangling him with like the CB cord, like the radio cord around his neck. And he's just laying on the hood of the car. But he's frozen. Yeah, like Rick and Mortis is set in yeah. all of a sudden. He's just like, uh, he's like a mannequin. He's like it's stuck. It's kind of humorous yeah. looking. He looked like the, the ring. Like the, kind of, you know, yeah. Face his, face the ring, like his face is all jacked. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, so those are the kills. Nothing flat, uh, flashy or fancy. Just gets the job done. Um, so moving ahead a little bit, we're Allison and Jonathan are waking up, I guess the next day again, and Jonathan's like trying to get to practice, and he's like, oh shit, it's your birthday, I forgot. Here, and he gives her this heart necklace, this golden heart necklace. Really cheap. Yeah, it's really cheesy looking. Like you got it from Zales or, right. or yeah, right. for or probably, even, yeah. I've seen better looking ones. Oh, like claw games. Like, maybe maybe <laughs> Claire's. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, so and then he leaves to practice, and then you get news reports saying that. Uh, Pinker, Horace Pinker, and now they identify him from the incident the repair shop has, that he's a practitioner of black magic and animal sacrifice. <laughs> now, this kind of comes in, but is so briefly, like, just glossed over. It's a pretty major part of the story, but it's so... It should be yeah, it should be a major part of the story, right, but it's, it's glossed right. over really quickly. It really should be a huge part of the story, but it's so glossed over and just... Never touched on again. Yeah, I mean, it's really easy yeah. to miss. If you're not actually... If you don't listen, hear that part. I watched this movie, movie right. Sense, right? twice. Right. I watched it last night and then again this morning. And the first time I watched it, I didn't even pick up on that. I was really? like, what happened? And I, it wasn't until this morning. They're like, oh, crap. Okay, now, now I hear the black magic because like, you can easily <laughs> miss it. So, Allison's getting out of the, sh- the shower, bathtub, whatever. And this is like the only real scare death scene in the movie. Because as she turns to leave, you, horse... Pinker just jumps, grabs her, and so out of nowhere. And they struggle. And, and you don't see much, but for considering what else you see in this movie, it's, probably, it's the most brutal and disturbing, kill and guess. disturbing kill yeah. in this movie. You don't only see it. They do a good job. Like, oh, shit, that's kind of impact. It's an impactful mm-hmm. scene. Um, and he, so basically the bathroom is covered floor to ceiling in blood, wall to wall. Um, and Alice's body is left in the bathtub. The bathtub. Just like yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty full vicious. of blood, pretty pretty disturbing. And scene, he know. writes "Happy Birthday" hor- in his comma, you know, and then signs Horace Pinker on the mirror in blood. Uh, so again, moving ahead, we're going to skip through. Now we come to Jonathan's second dream because Jonathan's like, "Oh, I know what I can do now. I can dream and figure out what to do." So he gets his buddy Rhino, who's another football player, and he's like, "Okay, we're going to 
I'm going to fall asleep. This is, again, very... It's like Ryan Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm going to fall asleep, but you have to wake me up in the right time. Yeah. It's I, exactly from Nightmare on Elm Street. I didn't understand how this works. It's like he's... he's. This is the best part, too. It's like he's soaked. He's sitting at... They're at the football stadium. Yeah. And he has his car parked on, on the, the track. track. On the track. And yeah. <laughs> he says... He says, you know, what ha- you know what you have to do? He's like, yeah, I know what you have to do. You have to wake He's like, he doesn't say you have to wake me up. He doesn't say anything what they're going to do. No, he just says, yeah. you ready to do this? He goes, yeah. And he goes, buckle up. And then they show him driving very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> buckle well, up. We're you didn't want to ruin the fear of the track. But then once they get off the track, you speed up. And then you see it again, like, they're being <laughs> tailed by <laughs> police officers, yeah. a bunch of police. But it was just funny. But he had, yeah, he had the dream of Horace... Pinker being doing another murder, and that's yeah. when the guy wakes him up. And it was funny because Horace is about, I don't understand it. So he's having the dream. It's an actual dream. He's not like leaving, transcending the area, and he's actually like having an out of body experience being at a different location in right. real time. It's yeah. an actual dream. Yeah, that's so, what's got me too. Because I yeah, have this but, in my notes like, okay, he dreams this, and, um, you know, he saves his girl from being killed. And then, but at the same time, like I don't know if it's a dream or if he's like doing, using astral projection. Right, because I think, but I think it's a dream because I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, it's not like he's leaving his body, coming to a different time in real time. Yeah. It's he's having a dream, but then Horace is going to kill him in his own dream, and he's waking up. Is this Nightmare on Elm Street rules? Because Horace misses him and goes, ah, I escaped. Yeah, and that's what. That's why I'm like, why, so Hor- if it's a dream, why is Horace reacting like he's actually there right. or like he's experiencing them himself? Yeah. But, and also in because the, the dream would just end it. Right. But in the first dream, wasn't the implication that it also was real time? So it's like a different. It's like separate. Yeah. From, yeah. So yeah. So it's a different type of dream this time. So well, in the first yeah, one, once he jumps yeah. like into or through Pinker, the dream's pretty much over. It ends mm-hmm. with, and he wakes up in bed. This time, like I said, once he disappears, he gets waken up by Rhino. It cuts back briefly to to Pinker in the stairwell, reacting to Jonathan getting away. So, like which is like, why yeah. if then it shouldn't be a dream because he's really there, right? So, is he going? So, is Jonathan traveling into the future <laughs> to stop the murder and then <laughs> coming back in real life in the dream? Because it, they do get there and basically the whole scene's replayed again, yeah. and they just stop it. With the cops. I, I With think the cops. continuity is like one of the funniest parts of the movie where you're just like, wait, none of this even makes any right. sense you know, on any kind of timeline. So, yeah. Anyway, so they get there. The cops follow him and they stop Pinker from killing this girl. And uh, they, they, he's like, he throws the girls out and he takes them. So there's a small little chase scene of them trying to get Pinker who runs up to the roof and then uses the ladder to get to the other building and drops the ladder. Yeah, so he's got a ladder connecting. He's on the roof of the building. There's a ladder that goes from one building to the next and he's walking across and oh all of a sudden that limp goes away yeah it, the limp even though they print it, it it's there very predominantly many many times but he's then it's odd his times, leg like it's made of cement it kind of disappears yeah like in fight scenes it disappears and in this in this particular chase scene it disappears yeah he he, he very he's a big dude and he nimbly shuffles across that ladder like nobody's business yeah. with you know a leg that's supposed to be completely useless essentially pretty much so i, I saw that and i was like hey i call bullshit <laughs> <laughs> shenanigans uh so it hit me like a bolt of lightning oh shocking. there's one <laughs> shocking uh so Jonathan, he he's like he's like fuck this, and he's like he backs up, he runs, he leaps across the the gap and onto the other building, and there's a little and straight up like WWE style, he does like this running drop kick to yeah. Horace Pinker's back and smashes his face against the door. I mean it's 
pretty kind of cool. Looking. I it's really like, like this fight scene on the yeah, roof. I it, thought it was pretty well done. It is pretty. It, yeah. yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so eventually, Pinker get, the rest of the cops catch up. Pinker's caught, and the very next scene, very next scene, is his execution scene. <laughs> <laughs> that must be one speedy. Which, uh, this is the fastest yeah. death row stay ever. There's no trial, which would have taken years or you know to process. No appeals. No sitting on death row for like 20 years, which is like the average yep. case. Now yep. it's like he's caught, executed the next day, <laughs> <laughs> like the same amount of time in between the funeral and the original family being murdered. Like, right. It's exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. Right. I mean, this almost like like Russia Bulgaria law rules because like. Um, for anybody who's familiar with yeah, uh, more rights in the gulag. Yeah, like the, the, the uh, Bulgarian butcher Andre Chikatilo was a famous mass serial killer, and even he had a trial. Which there's no trial; you don't see the trial, which is fine. But in Russian law, if you're sentenced to death, like as soon as your sentence hangs, that gets passed out. Okay, you die. You're taken to a room and you're shot. Like you're that's it. There's no we're gonna wait around for 20 years and draw this out. So this may have been on Elm Street, Russia. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, so, know, that'll, that'll tie everything together. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, and, and I didn't, I, I won't bring this up because in the intro to this, uh, that one of the taglines is, one of the things they say is, at 6.45 a.m., Horace Pinker was put to death, and now he's really mad. Well, during the scene, you can clearly see the clock on the wall says midnight. So they didn't even <laughs> get that right, which is sad. <laughs> Um, it's like the box art, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's the, the box art. Yeah. yeah, it says yeah. that. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's a tagline. So uh, you see people firing in, getting ready for setting up the execution, which is you know it's horribly wrong with like you know mistakes. Uh, but you see Pinker in his jail cell, and he's doing. He's got like candles set up in this ritual, and he's got like jumper cables connected to a TV, and he's holding him. He's being like shocked from these. He's being Able. electrocuted, and he's like, come on, give me more juice, more and power. the cops come to get him, and he clicks, clips the jumper cable to the wires, which electrocute the cops, which is, was actually kind of a smart thing. I was like, oh, that's clever. And he's, he's like, honestly, he's like, ah, give it to me. And uh, you see this hand that's kind of like made of like static snow, like you see on a TV. Yeah, kind reaches of out to him, and you hear a voice says, you got it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest out-of-place voice like, if this is supposed to be some black magic demon thing, he sounds like fucking Huggy Bear or something yeah, like that. Or <laughs> some... like, the, the, like the ghost from, uh, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas, that, like, big, the big demon, yeah, you know? Yeah, that, yeah, it, yeah. That's, yeah, that's what yeah, it sounded you like. You got him, baby. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's yeah. exactly what it's so, it's like, what? <laughs> you almost sounded like uh, Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, 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 a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> little Shop of So, uh, yeah, something happens, and, you know, so that's his... So that's the only other time you, which they kind of hint at the black magic because right. he's doing some kind of ritual. He's got candles set up. And, and, it's, that. and that's it. That's the rest of the black magic. That's, that's it. Yeah, ever, it never comes back. Ever come back, ever addressed. And like you said, it's a major, major part or should be at least appreciated more as a major Because it's supposed to explain why, how he becomes, right. like why he becomes what he does. Um, so they finally get Pinker into the electric chair. And uh, they, you know, he's, ah, his final words, everything to say. And this is where you find kind of the twist is that, well, early in the movie, you hear that Jonathan was a foster child, that Lieutenant Parker adopted him when he was seven years old. Um, and now that we, it gets filled, we get the filler information that Pinker is actually Jonathan's father, that Pinker was like beating his mother when she pulled out a gun to defend herself with. And 
I can't, I'm not clear if it was her, but I think it was Jonathan. I don't know. But one of them shot him, shot Pinker in the knee with that it was, gun. Yeah, which, it was him that shot him. Yeah, it was okay, him that shot the guy. Yeah. Shot him, yeah. Okay, yeah. defending him up. While the wife is being beaten. Right. Yeah. Life, yeah. Which that, you know, now that explains the limp and that, you know, the useless leg. Uh, and then Jonathan is later adopted by the, uh, Lieutenant Parker. Uh, so, but apparently, I mean, at seven years old, it's not like he was three or four. And I know you, you, you brain and mental trauma, like, you know, you can't forget things, but at yeah. seven, that's an order of age remark. Yeah, I shot this guy in the knee. I know who that is. <laughs> but anyway. Well, I mean, technically, you could, you, you could have some blockage there. You can still be an adult and have a traumatic event. Yeah, yeah, I I, but if, I'm just, it, yeah if it was like three, I'd yeah. get it. But yeah. like seven, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they flipped the switch, which, by the way, again, a lot of mistakes with the electrocution chair because if they didn't do it right, really, if you want to be a real stickler for the facts and procedure, there was no wet, damp sponge on the head. There was no black bag over the face. It was just, hey, everybody, let's watch this guy fry. Yeah. And yeah. let's watch him burn. And what was with the checkerboard pattern? Yeah, thing? I know. His, 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 yeah. uh, his prison jumpsuit looks like a NASCAR driver's Yeah, he looks like fire he's, he's going to skank. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like or- it, it's, yeah. Mostly it's plain orange, like what should be. But then like right through the chest is this giant like checkerboard black and white it's like two Bang. Yeah. I think yeah. he had some Doc Martens on too. Yeah, I it tell, really yeah. looked like 1980s, like uh, radical. Yeah, you know, uh, like, yeah. Awesome. I saw. I thought. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I thought like those old like Vans NASCAR. skate shoes. Those. Yeah. The yeah. ones I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so they flip the switch, and he's like, "Ah, oh, fry, fry, fry," and then it, you know, it doesn't work. He's yeah, still he's, alive. He's, his head's all burned up. He's still alive, and he's and he's laughing like, "Yeah." And uh, so the female doctor, like the warden's like, get in there and check on him. So she goes in to check on him. And as soon as she touches him, bam, electricity. She's shocked. She's electric. Uh, you see electricity flying out of Pinker's arm and she like flies back. And this sets off a huge chain reaction of arcing electricity bolts and explosions all around the room. And everybody's all like, the oh, my God. Out. Yeah. And so everything. And then during all this, Pinker's body kind of disappears. Everybody's like, well, where'd he go? So all the guards, everybody's like, find him, find him. They scatter. But they didn't look at the one most obvious place. You probably should have looked on the way out of the room, which was right behind the door. Right. Because <laughs> the parents out, all, once Lieutenant Parker and Jonathan Parker are the only two left in the room, which one, how they get into the, the extra change in the chamber anyway, I don't know. Because they're in the witness area first, and all of a sudden they're in the room. Um, but Pinker just falls out from behind the door. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't run off. Right? He's not high. He was just behind the door. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because they have other they're, – they're finding dead cops. Like, they're like, oh, where's this? This guy's down. Okay, go this way. So it looks like there's almost a trail of which way he was going. So how the fuck did he kill these people? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of, again, some of this does uh, not no, make sense. No. Electricity or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just uh, whatever. Uh, so – uh, they, once his body, he, his body falls out from behind the door, lands on the ground, and it just erupts in flames. Yeah. And it kind of burns for it. And then it just kind of fades away, just leaving like a pile of ash behind. And that's it. <laughs> um, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So in the very next scene is outside the prison with the, that female doctor being carried by two other cops out. And she's loaded into the back of a squad car so that she can be taken to the hospital. But basically, as soon as... They, the car gets outside the prison gates, basically. She pops up, uh, and she's fine. She's right as rain. And she's like, and she kills the cop in the passenger yeah, seat. She starts laughing. She and- breaks his neck, snaps it like a Slim Jim, 
as always. But she turns it all the way yeah, around. Yeah, 180 degrees around. And <laughs> she's, saying, like... she's saying, I just wanted a little head. There's a lot of one-liners <laughs> yeah. in this movie. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's so all of a sudden you get the idea that Pinker is He's now, the yeah. body of this lady doctor. Yes, and she grabs the head of the driver and starts like almost looking like she's about to lick his face. But he swerves into an oncoming 18-wheeler. There's a huge explosion. And uh, that's basically it for now. Uh, so you think they're dead, but whatever. Uh, moving ahead, Jonathan is now visited by Allison's ghost. She comes back lots in this movie as her ghost. And she gives him the heart necklace that he just gave her earlier and tells him that Pinker's still alive and he that he has to stop him. So, okay. This this by the way was my absolute favorite part of the movie. Like the 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 ghost, the reappearance of this ghost is just like why? Well, like, I know it doesn't make know, it's, what? It's like this isn't even a ghost movie. What it, the this is, is a this common thing, occurrence you know? in this realm or something. It's like, "Oh, oh hey, you're back in ghost form." Yeah. Right, you know. Well, I'm by the way totally awake. When it, I could explain it in a dream, However, just don't. Dream would have made yeah. a lot more sense. You're right. But <laughs> nope. Ghost comes out. What's yeah. up? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so after, like right after that scene, uh, you hear knocking the door, and it's the cop that was in the exploding car. You do find out that, oh, he didn't die. He was in the hospital. Um, so how he didn't die in that is a miracle, that explosion of that caliber that you see. Um, and so he's like, and John's like, wait, how are you doing? And then basically it's Pinker possessing this guy. He starts, there's an odd chase scene with this, who again, now this cop has the limp that Pinker has. Yeah, so so every time Pinker takes over a body, that body gains the limp, right. which I get that they're doing it as like a way to show, okay, Pinker's in him, but it makes, logically, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Because you're taking over basically a healthy body. The body shouldn't inhibit. Shouldn't, should not take on Pinker's... Should inherit the injuries of... Of a dead of, man. Yeah. So, yeah, he should not have the limp. But, so they're chasing, chase, 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 chase. Leads to a park. Now, Pinker starts body hopping. And he takes over the jogger, which is played by... Oh, get this. The jogger is Jonathan Craven. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if the character is named after Wes Craven's son. Because they're both named Jonathan. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. a theory. Could be a total coincidence. Anyway, so he takes over the jogger... And then the jogger, you see this little girl on a bike ride up to him. And I just a little note on the continuity is you hear the bike, like the ding, 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 ding of the bike. But when you see the bike, there's no bell on the bike. It's just a small continuity thing. But it's those things that, yeah. Um, oh, they must have mixed it up with the uh, the tricycle from the third uh, oh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah oh, whoops, that one's in there. Yeah, but, <laughs> but during this whole scene, the whole time he's running through the park, the cop is chasing him. Yep. Pinker and shooting wildly shooting into just, wildly. And it's not like they're the only two in the park. Either. There's tons of people yeah. running around. And it's like, you think that someone would be like, call the cops. Because this is a long scene. This is yeah. like 15 right. minutes of him running around the park. There's so much running. He's running his ass off. My God. And a cop who can barely walk, let alone run, is doing a really good job of keeping up with this right. guy. <laughs> and this kid's a, you know, he's in, he's in great shape. You know, he's sprinting like a maniac. I yeah, mean, they even say later in the movie that you could, you know, what's, you, you just outrun out- anybody he takes over. Yeah, you can outrun anybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy is fast, and he's constantly running in this movie. He's never, very rarely is <laughs> he standing say, still. I don't think he stops until the end. Right. right? I mean, <laughs> he this just is runs. Right here. Starts running. So eventually, the jogger gets shot by the cop who's possessed by Pinker, and then Pinker hops into the jogger. And then somehow, I guess the little girl finds the jogger, 
And he's like, hey, what's wrong with you? And then he, Pinker jumps into this little girl. And now, as a little girl, Pinker hijacks a fucking bulldozer yeah. and <laughs> knows how to operate it. And he tries to run Jonathan over with it. And I do like seeing a little girl saying, let's get this fucker moving. Yeah, she curses yeah. a lot as Pinker. So I'm just like, yay, little, little kid saying bad words. Uh, so eventually the mom's like, hey, have you seen my daughter? And Jonathan's like, uh, there's a scene. And she's running after him. And uh, Jonathan grabs the daughter. And Pinker's like, ah, fuck you, which is a little girl saying, fuck you, or something like that. The mom's like, let go of my daughter, blah, blah, blah. So you got mom chasing Jonathan, Jonathan chasing a girl all through a park. Um, and then eventually Jonathan gets the heart necklace out and he like tosses it onto the girl. And this causes Pinker to like, she starts seizing Pinker like, it forces Pinker out of the girl. And, and it's it, kind of like a like an aberration, kind of like an image of Pinker. Yeah. It's, not it's a physical form. The, the special effects on this are really kind of odd. Like for eight, like it's late A's, but still it's kind of an interesting choice that they make. Because he's not like really, he's not like the ghost that you see Alice in it. And he's not, but he's kind of like, like what they went for is like this, like a staticky image yeah. on a TV. Like on the old TVs where you had to adjust the, uh, the what the contract, the tuning, the tuning or something or, like yeah. that. It was kind of like that, where he was like out of focus and like, focus and, and, and he like, I don't know, it looked like he would, uh, oh shit, what's the word? Phase in, phase yeah, out, kind of yeah. like flicker yeah. a little bit. Flicker, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. And did I did I miss? Did he was he did he already know that that was going to do that, or did he just decide? With like the, with the necklace, like did she explain that, or no, did he just he pull just it out of his pocket like, like randomly? This will like, work. You know what? I'm about to get killed, so I might as well pull this out of my pocket and. Well, Put I know before face. he throws it on, he pulls it out, and it, he the girl reacts to it. It's like it's like a, it's, it's like, like a, with a vampire to a cross, cross. yeah, or okay. garlic. All right. You know, All right. yeah. Now, I, th- that's what got me mixed up. I was just like, what is going so, on? So he he gets out of the little girl and then jumps into the mom very briefly because as soon as he hops into the mom, a construction worker comes over like, hey, is everything okay over here? A giant construction worker who, who looks like Rico Suave. Yeah. And <laughs> speak, but that construction worker, this is another cameo, is Kane Roberts, who was the guitarist for Alice Cooper, which Alice Cooper is featured several times in this movie as well. Briefly, he's a cameo, but he, a lot of Alice Cooper music, there's shots of Alice Cooper. So this is a guitar from Alice Cooper playing the construction worker. Who then Pinker jumps into him, and they have like a little struggle. Um, the construction worker has the pickaxe, and he uses the pickaxe to scoop up the uh, the, the heart necklace, and so because apparently he can't touch it, uh, and then he flings the pickaxe with the necklace wrapped around it into. A big old lake. I mean, we're not talking flings. He fucking tossed that thing yeah. like an Olympian throwing <laughs> yeah. a hammer. I mean, that thing flew yeah. like way. It's, it's the not like they're even like saying on like the the, the beach or like He's the water line. Like a, a like good twenty yards. Yeah, a good, at least twenty yards inland, and he launches this thing a good like thirty yards <laughs> into the lake. It's just, it's a huge toss, and it's just like oh my god, it's it's a huge lake, and it's deep into the lake. Yeah. So. uh that's going to come back up. Yeah, that comes back. Now, Jonathan, at this point, we're sk- I'm, again, skipping ahead because we have a lot to get to this episode. Uh, Jonathan, we see a scene where he's sitting in like the high school gymnasium getting patched up because he did get shot by the cop in the arm. And he's getting patched up by Pac-Man, which is played by Ted Raimi, who at first I thought was the head trainer because he's using medical stuff. He's got the big you know, trainer's right. box. But later you find out he's the assistant head coach, which, again, doesn't matter, but... Anyway, he's there, and he's talking to the coach. He's like, hey, coach, you know, I need you to go back to my house to get my diving mask so I can go down and get this necklace. Uh, 
So, of course, like, all right, I'll go get it. <laughs> like to, I love how to, these guys just buy right into it. They don't put up a struggle or ask any questions or try to figure <laughs> out, is this guy really fucking crazy? Yeah. This sounds yeah. pretty fucking yeah. crazy. He said a like, little too hard. Play football. Like, Are you sure? You did have a major head injury just last week. You this, know? Is, this is the most open-minded town in America. Right, yeah. right. Like, Absolutely. You're just like, okay, buddy, you got like, it. What do you want to do? <laughs> I'm on board. We got your back. Okay. Yeah, say whatever. Uh, so, yeah, so... Coach goes to his house, and of course, he gets possessed by Pinker. And because, but the, a lot of time passes, so Jonathan shows up, like, "Hey, Coach, where are you? What's taking so long?" Finds Coach in the bat in the shower, freaking out with a knife. He's bloody, and he's possessed by Pinker. And they should, you know, they have a back and forth for a bit. And he tells Jonathan, "Like, hey, I left a surprise for you." And he looks in the closet, and he sees the diving mask. Which is like the cheapest? Yeah, like you can buy this at like a Kmart or a, it's the cheapest like swimming pool diving mask you'd ever see in a pool of blood. And Pac-Man's body falls not out from behind clothes or off from side. It falls from the top of the thing. Like I don't know how the fuck he got him up there in the first place and what was supporting him. He was like it's like he was just clung to the ceiling and then he just drops down. Yeah, he went to pull the light switch or the, the string. I, I don't think that he just fell. And he goes, ah! yeah. His whole body has one on strong him. string. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what was holding him up there? So he's covered in blood. Um again, you don't really I'm assuming it's throat slashing. Uh that seems to be the go to for this, the MO. And they fight, they struggle a little bit, and, and then Allison's ghost shows up. <sighs> again, she, again. Again. And she's like, no, you have to fight the fight the will, like and fight the, the power. And and, the coach starts doing like kind of a Gollum Smeagol moment. Yeah, he's like, where he's yeah. half. It's like, oh, oh, he's too strong, Jonathan. I can't do it. And he's like, I'm gonna kill this motherfucker. He's going back yeah. and forth between Pinker and Coach, and it's really cheesy. Yeah, it's, it's not very well done. And he's like, fight it. You, and John's like, you told me it yourself. It's all about the will. But gotta have the will to succeed. And the coach is like, I'm trying, I can't. And Allison's ghost is just hanging out going, you can do it. Yeah. What? It's just a goddamn ghost. And this coach <laughs> is like, I can't do it. Sorry, Jonathan. Takes a knife and then stabs himself in the heart. So he kills himself to stop himself from, I guess, trying to attack Jonathan. Um, Very noble. Yeah. So at this point, <laughs> this was awesome. At this point, John- Allison's ghost kind of steps forward and blast so yeah so after, after the after coach gets killed yeah, pinker, pinker comes, comes out. out of the coach yeah Al- so it's like you got staticky pinker yeah blue ghost yeah she's kind of like a bluish hue and she's glowing yeah, yeah. very like obi-wan kenobi yeah right like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. not that but yeah it's kind of like a cross yeah. between like obi-wan kenobi and like patrick swayze from ghost yeah, ex- right yeah exactly um, and so she she walks up and all of a sudden she just starts emitting like she blasts pinker with this light ray yeah. that emits from her chest like just like cyclops only instead of cyclops in his optic eyes it's like from her boobs and it's like <laughs> bam like right and knocks pinker back yeah she goes <laughs> go back to hell yeah and she just blasts him into the next room I'm like i guess hell is in that next room just, <laughs> just right over there yeah it just, just right over there and you know and then she leaves yeah oh during what a bitch. Oh, yeah during this <laughs> she doesn't quite leave but during this you hear bang like jonathan's father like jonathan let me in here bang on the door bang on the door and she crawls up to Jonathan. She whispers, like, I have something very important to tell you. Right. But then it cuts away. So you don't really know what that thing is. And honestly, I don't think we ever find we out what do. that thing is. And she made it very pretty. She goes, I, I have, exactly. It's like, I have something very important to tell you. You need to listen to what I say. Yeah. And, and but she you says never that know. very distinctly. 
Yeah. I think it was buy Walmart stock. It's 1989, right? Yeah, it's 89. It's going to blow up. She would have said that. I know. Apple or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Lieutenant Parker shows up, and long story short, they actually arrest Jonathan because he walks up. There's dead coach, there's dead Pac Man or Ted Raimi. Um, oh, well, we forgot, we forgot to mention um, Shocker was injured from, I guess, the boob blast, and he reached out and stuck his hand into a light oh, switch. So yeah. he's gone into the electricity. Yes, I yeah, totally, yeah. He's yeah. into the He's laying there recovering yeah, the from the blast. His fingers, yeah, they stretch like three or four times in length. And he jams into a light socket yeah. uh, outlet and he gets sucked into the currents. Um, so as Jonathan's being arrested, Park, Lieutenant Parker like touches the lamp and gets shocked. He's like, what the fuck's wrong with the electricity in this place? And then he's like, take him out to my car. And so we realize, okay, as soon as he touches the lamp and gets shocked, now Lieutenant Parker has been possessed by Pinker. And Jonathan realizes this in the car, but he's already locked up. But out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Ryan, his teammate Rhino like, just shows up and like smashes, smashes the, the door. Window. Yeah, just, just just not the window. Smashes yeah. the window open like, damn. And like drags <laughs> him out the window. Him. And then, and Lieutenant Parker or Pinker is like, ah, no, get him away. He's like, I'll get him. And he hops in the car and there's a chase scene. Again, um, running his ass off. Yeah. Just running and running and running. Yeah. And they chase after each other. And this chase scene ends basically on the top of a high, like, skyscraper. So we've gone to small town to, like, metropolitan city. Right. And it's... it's Because so they have, like, how? a giant, like, skyscraping TV station. Because they climb all the way up top of this thing. And they're not just the rooftop, but all the way up the antennas and satellite towers. It's got to be 15 this, stories at least. Where, yeah. yeah, easily. Where this thing ends. Um, so they're, you know, arguing and they're chasing each other. And again, John tries to go, Dad, fight him. You have to, you know, fight him. Blah, blah, blah. The same thing we saw with uh, the coach. And eventually he snaps out of it because he's like, oh, I have a bad heart. And Pinker didn't realize that. But he falls almost falls off and he hangs he's hanging in front of this giant satellite, satellite dish yeah. and there's really no explanation why because you know i guess it's just it's there but you start seeing like a again just like out of allison's ghost boobs you see a big like beam of light coming out from the uh satellite dish and like goes through pinker and he looks up at jonathan and says I'm nationwide now. And then he just, he vanishes in like a a ray of light (laughs) off into like the night sky. Right. Into the TV, the radio waves or something. I think no explanation why is like the theme of this movie, right? Right. I mean, every five minutes, you're just like, what? Like, where did that even come from? So. You just got to roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just like, okay, whatever you say, Wes. Now, Jonathan, at this point, he's like, you know what? I'm going to, he enlists the help of all of his teammates to stop Pinker. And because he's having like this team meeting. So he's a college football team to help him. Yeah. <laughs> and basically the plan is like for the football team, these football players to break into what is essentially a power substation. And while he goes, goes and basically takes a nap. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's exactly what he does. It's exactly what like, he you does. You guys go break and commit the crimes. I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go revisit that sweet like, water bed. like, listen, you guys, I'm tuckered out. Okay. I just got to. I've been running, running all of my yeah, last two days running. straight. <laughs> So, and at this point, I forgot he was, I didn't, you don't realize he's really in a dream again until later. So taking that part didn't kick dawn on me until later, but we see him, uh, he basically goes to the lake and he gets in the lake and starts 
diving down to get this necklace. And at this point, he comes up and he's like, oh, help me, he give me strength, or, or why, or something like that. And, of course, Allison's ghost pops up in the lake. And, and then for some reason, he's fucking yes, terrified. He freaks the fuck. He's like, oh, my God. But, yeah, he's seen her like, twice already. He's already seen her twice before as a ghost. <laughs> and she's and helping she, him out the entire do, way. She didn't do anything wrong. Nope. She just goes, Jonathan. And he goes, ah! <laughs> And he starts swimming away. He's, and he's like swimming, swimming, swimming. She pops up again. He's like, Jonathan's like, ah! What are you doing? He <laughs> just keeps going. It, it, it makes cool. no sense. It was actually, cin- cin- uh, I guess, the cinematography, if you will. It was really cool. Yeah. It was I mean, creepy the, the, light the, the fog. Grayish fog. And she was, like, floating through the water. And yeah. it was cool looking. But I was just like, why is he freaking out so yeah, much? Yeah, because, right. I mean, you just, last, you've seen her twice already. And the last time, she basically just saved her ass from Pinker. Yeah. So, but now you're freaking out. So, anyway, now we cut back to John sleeping in his bed. And we're like, oh, okay, now we're in a dream again. So, ba- like, that's where I said. He's taking a nap while his friends are committing felonies. <laughs> And so now Dream John is out of the lake. He, he's out of the lake. He's on the shore. And him and Allison are talking. And, she, and Yeah, he finally realized, oh, okay, you're not so scary. Now. Yeah, and she yeah. grabs him by the back of the head, and they start making out. <laughs> they just start kissing and making out. And now all the dead people that have been killed in this movie start walking through, like, the trees and, like, through the fog and coming towards like them. And they fucking zombies. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, you don't don't let them get you while you're sleeping. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. And so, I mean, there's Coach. There's Ted Ramey. There's, there's his parents. Yeah, there's, like, you know, the cops. Like, like, every, they all yeah. have their injuries still. Yeah. And Everybody's like, there. looking. So you see Pinker coming out of John's TV in his bedroom, which, at this point, if you know what he's capable of and what he's doing, why the fuck would you take a nap with your TV on? You would turn that shit off. Like it doesn't. Like that's just stupid. Or unplug everything. Yeah, exactly. So um, he wakes up and he goes and sits in his electric Barca lounger massaging chair, oh, God. which at Best this point gets obviously awesomely possessed by Pinker. So Pinker has <laughs> now possessed a chair which comes to life. The arms of a chair like wrap around Pinker. That you see eyes. Pop out like the headrest of the it, chair, it but they're like, so ridiculously apart. It's like a hammerhead shark. <laughs> it looked like a possessed cherry from Pee Wee's Playhouse. I was just oh gonna yeah, say that. yeah it's like yes. cherry from Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's exactly, exactly what, what it, it is. Like. Oh Cherry's my god, cherry's pissed off. Yep. <laughs> so and the chair then morphs into this half pinker, half lounger hybrid, where the top half is pinker, but the bottom he has no legs. He's just like chair and the footrest is reclined it looks really weird but it's so awesome at the same time <laughs> so they struggle john's trying to flee and as he's trying to get out of the house you see like what looks like an angry roided out tinkerbell flying around the room zapping everything and electrical sparks are flying everywhere and then pinker and john they start fighting and john pulls out the heart necklace this causes pinker to stumble back and he eventually flees by diving into the television now, John, because uh, all logic, you know, goes out and has to win on this movie. He decides, yeah. what the fuck? Even though I'm not magical or anything, I can. Do, he, I jump into the TV. He, t- he dove in right after Head him. first into the TV. I do need to point out something. During this entire thing, there's a really sweet Megadeth song playing. <laughs> I just, I noticed, that was the first thing I noticed. Like, I was like, is this Megadeth? I'm like. <laughs> yeah, Megadeth then, was yeah, on the soundtrack up, several like, times. Yeah, that's definitely Megadeth. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, I said, like I said, the soundtrack was awesome. And it's really it, soft. Yeah, she really kind yeah. of is. Yeah. yeah. Um. So now they're both in TV, and this starts the montage of the Pinker, John, fighting each other while channel hopping. I stopped taking notes at this point. Yeah. I was just like, what the fuck? This is, <laughs> this is all the scenes 
that they go through. They go through a ton of war movies, black and white, like Vietnam, one, Vietnam World one, World War Two, World War One, yeah. a lot of war movies. Leave it to Beaver, yep. Alice Cooper music videos, mm-hmm. the Hindenburg tragedy, mm-hmm. footage, news footage of some riot, a boxing match, <laughs> live news reports with John Tesh. <laughs> Uh, the classic Frankenstein with Boris Karloff, right, right. and then there's all these scenes of like nuclear, the the atom bomb, the nuclear explosions going off, which is kind of cool because then like Pinker's face is like the mushroom cloud, like it kind right. of, and it's kind of crazy. And the whole time this is going on, there's like, is that still Megadeth playing it's in the background? Megadeth it's the just whole rah, time, rah, yeah. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's just a, a really Megadeth song, really yeah. weird scene. And then for a moment, they get ejected from the TV and they land in the living room of some obese family who oh. act like this is totally normal. Like, Nobody oh, freaks out. TV. They're almost more like, yeah. like this is an inconvenience. <laughs> so like, no, holy fuck, what right. the hell happened? It's like. <laughs> Like God damn it! You're you're interrupting my programs. Yeah. Like get my they get ca- me my popcorn. I hear them talk about cheese spread. Yeah. They're like where's the cheese spread? You're gonna knock it over. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. And I'm pretty sure the lady's just like still on the couch, just watching this all go yeah. down around her house. There's like, two. Oh, there's man, two kids just sitting around. Yeah. She's not worried about the, the kid. Husband the husband's in the kitchen. Like ends up being sucker like, punched. Hey, y'all are yeah. blocking my view. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. She's, she's in a movie with rollers. She looks like a. An 80s version of Mimi from the yeah, Drew, Drew Carey, Carey show. Yeah, yeah. Right. The, Speaking of the Drew makeup. Carey, wasn't there a Price is Right scene too? Like a no, fake Price no, is Right? It's uh, a, a it's, television evangelist. Yeah, oh, is yeah. that I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, okay. that's coming up. Yeah, All right. But it's so ridiculous. So she, she's like, I've heard of audience participation shows before, but this is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's a total break the fourth wall yeah. kind of moment. Right. She's looking at yeah. the camera. <laughs> what and, the hell? And so gra- John grabs the remote from her and she's like, Get back my remote. And then John jumps back into the TV. Pinker follows. And now they're in the television evan- oh, the, the, right. the yeah. evangelist show. Which does he, look a lot like a Price It does. At first, it does look like a kind of an old game was. show. I was like, what is this? Uh, Pinker throws around the preacher for a bit. And at this point, John starts using the remote to start changing the channel they're on or in. Until they end up in this room that has a news crew that was waiting for them that John set up beforehand. And it turns out this is the room where Pinker killed his mother and sister originally. So more shit happens, but John starts using the remote control to control Pinker. And this is one of those things where it's like when you see an image in a mirror, like with a mirror behind a mirror or something, it's like you keep that repeating image over and over again. It's something like that because he aims the news camera that have the TV and Pinker both in a right, shot. So it's right, like, right. you're watching yourself, who's watching yourself, who's watching yourself. Right. So it's this weird... Like the exponential... Yeah. It's like, a, yeah, yeah. like an, an inception type thing or right. something. And it's, it's so ridiculous. He's, they're fighting, and Pinker's about to stab him, and he just hits the pause button. Yeah, he's, and he starts using... He's like, he's like... I, it's not. He, he, he uses this remote like the, the remote like a Wii remote, like a Nintendo Wii. Yeah, because he's, he's like just around. bouncing Pinker off walls and up and down, and making him jump on down the bed. And I'm like, or, what TV remote has this functionality? <laughs> or, I know there's change channel, volume up, volume down, power on, power off. But Jesus, yeah. how do you control somebody bouncing around the walls and flying all over the place? Or kind of like Freddy uses the power glove in uh, oh, Freddy's yeah. Dead. Mm-hmm. Power glove. Yeah, there you go. I don't play with power. power. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Um, so basically, uh, at this point, the back of the power substation, Rhino and the rest of the group are cut the power. And this causes the city, about half the city going to a, a citywide blackout. And you kind of lose explanation. It gets kind of confusing, but Jonathan's power, plan was to jump through the TV right as they cut the power, trapping Pinker inside. 
But Pinker's like, oh, your watch isn't ticking. You're late. And they cut the power, and for, they're kind of trapped, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, so, so they... He's like, I bet your watch isn't working right. It's almost midnight. And he looks like, how does he know this? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and come on, man. Casios were huge in the 80s. And Casios take a licking and keep on ticking. That's, so, that's true. Yeah. yeah that's, I that mean, was, I, was, I was always more that of a wasn't Casio. guy, but... Who was Casio, wasn't it? No, that was like some of Timex. 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 Take a lick. I love Timex. Because I remember the T's. Take a lick and Timex. Take a lick. That's right. That's right. Oh, well, but but so, yeah, he's like, oh, crap. Rhino's going to blow the grid. I'm going to be trapped here with Pinker. And it's so funny because he just doesn't have that realization and just go, oh, shit. He actually screams out, Rhino, no, don't do it. Like, he can hear him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's on on the other side of town. At at this point, he's still in a dream? I mean, is this, like, this dream world? Like, so who knows if this is reality, dream, what the fuck's going on? Um, So, yeah, but somehow he gets the bright idea of hanging, while Pinker's frozen from the remote, he hangs the heart necklace off around the lens of the news camera and basically, like, well, here goes another, and then runs and dives headfirst into the camera lens, and he gets sucked into it. And you see like this crazy scene of him like falling through space, but there's like it's like a TV, wormhole. it's like a yeah. wormhole of yeah. TV yeah. shows surrounding him. Uh, wormhole, yeah, that's a great, yeah, that's perfect. And uh, and so for somehow for some unknown reason, this causes Pinker to explode into black and white static like pixels and disappear. And at this point, the rest of the city goes black. Yeah, and Jonathan comes out in his room through his TV. Which is now, the screen's blown out, it's now on fire. And, or, not like big fire, but there's like a little fire inside the box, the TV, the and box. And you hear Pinker going, come back, you son of a bitch. Yeah, like, every time we turn the TV on, I'm going to be here, I'm going to get you, blah, blah, blah. And then Jonathan just kind of pulls out the remote and turns off the TV. Which kills the flames. Which, yeah, <laughs> all, of course kills the flames. Uh, but also, the fact that I don't understand how the TV still in the first place because they cut the power and all the city has no power, but yet this one TV magically is on. Oh, didn't he? Get, didn't he like squeak through and then the power went out? No, because they, they clearly show that the power went out beforehand. Yeah. It's again, it's woohoo! They yeah. missed something there. I mean, uh, they missed a lot of things, a lot of places. Yeah. <laughs> so Jonathan walks outside, and there's a bunch of neighbors gathered around. Everybody's talking about the blackout. Like, oh, what's happened? And he looks up into the stars. He hears Allison's voice again. I don't know what she says. Yeah, he's like, don't the stars look beautiful? Like, yes, they always look beautiful. I don't want you to be away. I'll never be away. It's some, yeah, and, I, I don't even know if it's that, but it's and something. And that's the movie. And then she and turns he, into a constellation? Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, something happens yeah. to the stars. Yes, yeah. there is something yeah, in the stars that happens. Know, that's what people do. <laughs> and he turns and starts to walk down the sidewalk as roll credits. Yeah. More it's, metal music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah more metal. Yeah, yeah it's more awesome exactly. metal music hit plays. More the metal. <laughs> now, I do want to say the man you see—it's very blurry, but I, I had to dig around to find out. But the man who comes out from the house next door, uh, that comes out just after the blackout and that final scene is Wes Craven. Ah. So you have three Craven. That's the other one. So now we're going to move into our odds and ends. Not only did they watch these films, they researched them too. Ugh, what is wrong with these guys? We start with our the ratings, and IMDb gave it a 4.5, which is average, you know, which is fine. Um, Rotten Tomatoes hated this movie, apparently. Really? Mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 
8% on the thermometer. One of the lowest scores we've done on the show so far. Yikes. But the audience score was 30%, and that was roughly, which at the time was 11,796 critiques or viewer yeah. votes or whatever. And then Amazon gave it a three and a half out of five. So not a big, not that's a big b- disparity. Yeah, yeah like eight yeah, percent from eight percent to three three and a half. Right. What is that? Sixty five. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. It's crazy. Um, plot keywords. I didn't really bother with this one. I just kind of like I didn't do anything with it. But um, <clears throat> now we're for some trivia for this game or not game for uh, for the movie uh, stuff. I dug up during my research. Uh, according to Russ Cra- Wes Craven, the film was severely cut for an R rating, which blows my mind. It, 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 yeah. They say it took around 13 submissions to the MPAA to receive the R instead of an X. Why? Wow. In the which blows my mind. It's, it's not yeah. brutal. It, it's not. I thought it was like PG-13. Yeah, it's not, you, there's no nudity. The it's bloody scene, language. it's That's not. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, that makes me think if there's a cut out there that is just over the top crazy killer slashing. Right, it's like you a know. Lars von Trier horror movie. Yeah. Like where, <laughs> I want to see that. I want to see that. Everywhere. Well, here, <laughs> here's some of the scenes that were cut out. Uh, Pinker spitting out the fingers that he bit off from a prison guard. Longer and more graphic electrocution of Pinker. And longer scenes of possessed coach stabbing his own hand were some of the ones that cut out. I grant, I grant it was... 89. So, you know, years ago. Sure. But the, from an R to an X is, that's huge. I mean, I, there's more graphic violence and gore in Friday the 13th movies. And those all had R's that came out on the same time. Right. Well, so the, for this I'm trying to think of like a contextual away. reference for the era. And wasn't RoboCop rated X when it first came out? That one, I mean, that is a violent movie. Well, yeah. Well, the so I guess, the, yeah, I guess this, I mean, on that same token, I suppose, you know? Right. Maybe. But again, like I said, the, the, it wasn't grand. What we saw was a tone out version, but I just can't believe I, this I would ever be an X. see it getting there. Yeah. yeah. Um, this was the last film to be released on video cassette under the MCA home video banner before mm-hmm. the, it was changed to MCA Universal. So mm-hmm. before Universal bought them out. Uh, the body. Oh, yeah. We already talked about Jonathan Craven being the jogger. Uh, the, the whole film was shot in 10 weeks on low budget, and Craven said that all the savings were because they used a small team, small team, and with talent and low or lesser known actors. <laughs> small writers team, maybe. Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the bodies that Horst, or I talked about Alice Cooper, guitarist. Um, uh, a little tidbit for the Alice and Cooper fans: when the that in the bar scene right after the funeral. Uh, Jonathan's dad are in the tavern. There's a newscast on about the killings. And somebody says, change the channel. They change it. And in the background, it's uh, film, uh, it's footage of uh, 1986 concert footage of Alice Cooper's The Nightmare Returns tour. So there's another Alice Cooper. Right. So there's Alice Cooper's that, in yeah. here twice. Nice. Uh, and uh, in the second dream we talked about, John, where we talked about after projection, uh, he's at a street corner of, of Magdalena and Wagner. Now, those street names are named after Marianne Maddalena, who is a producer on the film, and the actor who's played the executioner, Bruce Wagner, who was a writer or producer on Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I believe. Oh, who I Bruce Wagner is also married, I found out, to Rebecca DeMornay. Oh, uh, she's hot. Yeah. And this right, was yeah, originally... That, that, <laughs> if it's the same guy who threw the switch, yeah, yeah. he is this little Goofy, dirty yeah, guy. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Uh, originally entitled to be the beginning of a three-part trilogy, very much like Iron Man Elm Street, but after a lukewarm box office reception, the idea was dropped. 
Now, I can't. I totally get where they're going to go trying to make this a series because they totally, you know, oh, I'm, anytime you turn the TV on, they can. It's basically instead of dreams like Freddy, it's television and radio waves for Pinker. Right. So they right. totally had a thing going here. Or apparently just any electricity at right. all. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mostly that, but. Yeah. And one of the mess ups of referring to that Allison Cooper said on the TV. Now, I cannot confirm this because I'm not familiar, but it's what I found. So take it for what, if you believe or not, or if you're, if you actually do know, then good for you. But supposedly the footage of the Alice Cooper concert doesn't match up with the song that's playing. The song that's playing supposedly is Love Transfusion, and that's by Iggy Pop, not Alice Cooper. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. I did not notice that. So now we're going to move into the budget game. Now time to play everyone's favorite game, Guess the Budget. This is where we, Aaron, and now we have a guest, will try to guess the budget of the movie. All right. So this was, again, Universal movie. Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, so it's a Wes Craven coming off hot off of Nightmare on Elm Street. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of... A lot of moving parts. Now, the, they, I, you just did say that this was a lower budget one. So you, you just said that he has a low, smaller cast. He has different, you know, different people that he's working with, lesser known actors. So still being a major studio, I'm going to go $7 million. Would you like to take a guess? I would. Um, so I was actually surprised to find out that this was not a New Line Cinema production, since that's like... You know the house Freddie built. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- you know, why wouldn't they give him? I, so I, I was confused about that. But um, I imagine it's because of the script. But <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go lower than that, man. I, I'm gonna say like 1989 dollars, three million, three and a half million, maybe. Well, you're both wrong, and for the most part, you kind of split the difference. <laughs> the estimated budget, even five million. Wow. So once again, Aaron so is way is actually, over. You're you're closer. If yeah. you go three and a half. Well, if million, you went three yeah. and a half, technically closer, but three, you're both going to be two million off. So yeah, five million dollars for this. And this is what blows my because what I just says they they scrapped the sequence because they said a lukewarm box office or they didn't think. But the the gross in the United States was sixteen million five hundred fifty four thousand six hundred ninety nine. That's triple the money they spent to make it. Right. So that should be a huge success. Right. That, so how do you call that a box it. office bust? That's crazy. I guess they were Well, I guess they it. thought it was going to be Freddy. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. thought it was going to be Nightmare on Elm Street, and it wasn't. So. Yeah. I mean, but still, that's triple your money, that money you spent. That's right. huge profit. Yeah. So Good job. You made money. Yeah. yeah. To call yeah, that, that yeah, a flop yeah. is you crazy. You made $10 million bucks. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Let's do a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Finally, we come to... <clears throat> Our five-star reviews. These special movies have a place in these special people's hearts. Five-star reviews. Now, again, these are five-star reviews I find off of Amazon. Uh, there were a decent amount, but I wrote down, <laughs> I think, three or four. Um, so, first off, we got Robert Hanks. I love this trashy but scary film. It's a guilty pleasure. One not to share with minor children or females of the species. Five stars. <laughs> not to what? share with females? Why would you? What? Oh, Lord, well, he said weird. it was trashy, too. Yeah. 
trashy and scary. It's not that trashy. It's not that Actually, I'm more scary. shocked that he said it was scary. Yeah. That's like the least scary horror movie I've ever th- I watched in my in my entire life, I think. Yeah, but so that's Robert Hanks. Uh, from Steelers Thanks, fan. <laughs> awesome film from the 90s. So glad I found it. Five stars. <laughs> you too, bruh. Yeah. Yeah. All caps. I'm All caps. Yeah. Elbow exclamation oh, point. Yeah. And from Chachi. This one. Was, Capital punishment has always been a sensitive subject in the movie industry. Speak in favor of it, you alienate one audience. Speak against it, alienate another. Wes Craven's shocker decides, in parentheses, wisely, to walk the fine line between the two viewpoints. Yes, the electric kills our most evil criminals, but it doesn't kill them all. Backed by Megadeth's admirable cover of Alice (laughs) Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy, this movie succeeds in every way that The Green Mile failed. Five stars. Are you kidding me? What? Yeah. (laughs) What's this guy's name? I'm gonna need to look him up on Facebook. It's not even a name. It's just some username. Uh, Sir, we I can message this dude and just ask him what the hell he is talking. I would love to hear him expand on that some more. So he says, "Electric the electric chair doesn't kill everyone." He messes. There's title. He says, "Yes, the electric kills our most evil criminals. Not electric chair. I think just." Kills our most evil criminals, but it doesn't kill them all! Exclamation point. First of all, I don't think there's a single opinion formed on whether or not the death penalty should exist in this movie. No, nope, not at or, all. Or a fault even like four times lower than that. Like, no. There's nothing even close, cognitive-wise. And then to say this succeeds with a green mile. The, the green mile, I might be wrong, but wasn't that like Oscar-nominated? Right. I mean, Tom yeah. Hanks. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was a was huge a good movie. movie. And he thought this, I mean, this has got to be a joke, right? <laughs> I don't know. cannot be serious. There's no way. I don't know. But final one from Zach H. Since I love the Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream series, maybe Wes Craven would impress me again. Certainly he did. Awesome. <laughs> really awesome. Five stars. All right. Well, I know a Zach H, and I'm going to punch him in the face next time I see him, even though that's probably not him, just in case. <laughs> All right. Now, our, our final segment, which I – Forgot, I normally do it as soon as we get done talking the movie, but we're going to do our favorite kill of the movie. There can be only one favorite kill. So this movie, not a lot of kills in it, really, and they're really? pretty tame. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a I, lot of body discovery. Yeah, it's, it's more it's just a discovery, lot of body of discovery, and then talking about people being killed off camera. Like they're like, "Oh, he just killed forty more people yesterday, but we it, didn't get yeah, to see oh, any." Yeah, he's the yeah, busiest, yeah. most active <laughs> he mass murderer. Families a day. One yeah, in the morning, like he's butchering people left and right. Most of your like Bundy, Gacy, all them. They didn't kill like night after night after night. They yeah, spread they it out. This like guy, seventeen people over twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. this guy's yeah. killing like four to eight people. A okay. night or a right, day right, or, right. you know, maybe 12 people a week. He just <laughs> yeah. can't get satisfied. It's just like, All the while re- running a TV repair <laughs> Yeah, he's a busy dude, man. Yeah, he's a busy dude. And he, and he works at night. So yeah. that's, there's that. Yeah. On a gimp knee. So anyway, favorite kill. Not much to choose from. I'm going to go with, even though, like I said, almost all of them are off screen. I'm going with Alice and the Girlfriend. Just because it, like I said, even though you don't really see it, it's still the effect it gives. It's the most brutal and really it's the most impactful death of the whole movie. Because it just because from her death really spins off her character as a ghost and everything revolves around that. So to me, I'm going Allison, my favorite death. That's a good one. That's a good one. I'm going to have to go. I'm, I don't even know if it really could be considered a death, but I'm going to go with it anyway. as Pinker's electrocution. You know, and he's just, he's... 
he's he's hamming it up, he's shocking everything, and then all like when he when he when they're done, they turn off the lights, come back on. His head is just totally scarred and Burnt. big burns, yeah. and it looks pretty nasty. It looks pretty painful. It does actually. That the makeup job on that does look pretty good. They did yeah. a good job with that. So I I think that'd be my favorite my favorite kill. I don't think that sponge was wet enough on top of it. There was no yeah. sponge, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> attempt to kill. Yes. Yeah, right. Favorite kill, Matt. Uh, you know, mine mine is uh, my favorite was because it was the, like one of the lamest. Is like the two cops that get killed outside of the shop when he's dressed up because like he. He slashes the one's throat and just looks like like a little puff of air. It's just like nothing even happens. He just like he's like, oh. And then, and then the other one is just like a stab in the gut, and you don't really see that either. No. And you're like, oh, that was lame. And then and then you see the guy, you know, the scream or the you know, strangled on the mask with the guy, and you're just like, holy shit, that was violent. I just didn't see it. It's like, see any of it. The implied violence is what was so great. Right. I get, you know, it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. All right, so there you have it. Uh, now, normally we would sign off here and end the show, but today, like I said, this is the Wes Craven, our tribute show. You know, I'm sure there will be a ton of them before ours, we, but this is ours. And so we're going to kind of just have some – I have a bunch of Wes Craven history and facts uh, I'll get to to wrap up the show. But I think for a minute, we'll just, we're just going to kind of you know, spitball here and we're just, you know talk about some of our – maybe some, a few of our other favorite Wes Craven movies and some other of our – most memorable Wes Craven moments for movies or, you know, just some that stuck with us from any of his movies. Um, we try not to be too lengthy with it, but we feel like we, you know, he should be honored. The man who gave us so much right. for so long. Sure. Uh, I mean, everyone loves the nightmare on Elm street and Freddy Krueger is going to go down. And I mean, he is, he's, he's already down been history, da- gone down in his right as one of the most iconic horror figures ever. Yeah. Um, you know, just the, the, to build that, you know, Empire is pretty incredible. Um, I also love the rap videos that he inspired. I think I put something on our Facebook page. He yeah, Fresh Prince, fat boys. Fresh Prince, and uh, Fat Boys did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street videos. Uh, a couple other rappers mm-hmm. did some <laughs> Freddy stuff, which was pretty funny. Um, but as far as a movie or something that really sticks to me, it's actually not Freddy Krueger. It's People Under the Stairs. I fucking love that movie so much. It was scary, campy, funny. It also kind of made you think a little bit. Actually, kind of, when you think about it, it almost had like a fairy tale kind of feel to it. You know, mm-hmm. you had these evil landowners, which were the people who owned the house or owned the neighborhood and collected the taxes. And they had, you know, kids that needed to be freed. And it was, it was really good. But I just loved the weird couple and them running around calling each other mommy and daddy all the time. Yeah. And even he's wearing the S&M <clears throat> gear and he's like, mommy! He's like running the gimp around. Out, basically the gimp outfit. <laughs> basically running around with a shotgun shooting, trying to kill the kid. People on the stairs. Gotta see it. Yeah, Fantastic. I agree. I went, that movie stuck with me because it's, I found it just kind of disturbing too. It, it's, it sticks with you. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a good one. It's pretty scary. Yeah. Um, for me, I just want to say so many like, you know, People under the sta- uh, people under the stairs, the hills of eyes, last house on the left, the scream series—they're all good. But I just want to say some of my favorite moments from. Let's say since he's so famous for Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, some of my favorite moments that have always stuck with me from that series, regardless of what movie it's in, is there's two definite kills that I remember that vividly. Uh, one was from Nightmare on Elm Street Three: The Dream Warriors, where they're in the mental hospital, and <clears throat> this one. Again, when I first saw this, I was, you know, we were young kids, or not that young, but we were kids. And it disturbed me, it bothered me, because it was where, I don't know the character's name, but Freddy is basically turned this kid 
into like a living marionette doll mm-hmm. and he's on the top he's like in a bell tower on the ledge and you see like his tendons and nerves like oh, ripped yeah, out his face. arm and like, going shoot yeah. straight up in the air and you see Freddy and Sky like moving around like and just the image of like those tendons and everything sticking out of them like really stuck with me as a kid. Like that one's always in my mind. Another like another great part about that scene is they switch back and forth from points of view, like from like Freddy and the dreams point of view, and then from the kids that are watching him's point of view. Yeah, they're like in the where TV. He's room literally just up. standing there and nothing's happening, and they're like, "Why are you gonna kill yourself? You're gonna jump!" And and then you s- switch back over, and then Freddy's in the sky, like ah, you know, puppeteering yeah. and whatever. And, yeah, and it's and it's and that more yeah. was always my favorite as a kid because it was like I was always so cool. Like they go on a dream and they had their like their. They're super like uh, image, like superpower yeah. version of them, the like the, girl. the punk girl yeah. on the knives yeah. and all yeah. that. Switchblades, yeah. And she, I remember she gets killed like they pump her full of drugs, like in her in her yeah. injection. Oh, yeah, he, so yeah, his fingers turn into like, um, syringes, like syringes, and, then he, yeah. and he pumps, pumps her. her full of heroin. And, and, yeah. and like, he's like little Freddies, like her, uh-huh. her like yep. injection was like her like little miles, like feed me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, and then like in Freddy, I think it was five. I might be wrong. It could be four, but I think it was five. There's a scene. Where this kid is on a motorcycle driving down a hall, uh, highway, and he the, he starts like morphing, like being turned into the motorcycle. Like you see, like the cable is like jabbing into his legs, and it's like he's turning into like a transformer or a gobot or something he's like that. Screaming and he's the whole screaming, time. and he's like he can't get off the motorbike, just speeding up. And whether I I can't remember at the time if I liked it or thought this was stupid, but I just I know that the image stuck with me, regardless of how I felt about. It, it's one thing that stuck with me throughout the years. Very similar to like when we talk about Jason X with the, the liquid nitrogen face smashing. It's one of those things that just sticks with you. <laughs> right. My, you know, when I was a kid, I was, I was maybe in third grade, and my, this, like, I never really watched a lot of scary movies. My mom was scared to death of these movies. So the first scary scene from any movie I'd ever even seen was in The Dream Warriors, which is currently my favorite movie of all time. Oh. Uh, yeah, which is why I was happy to be on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, and it's the stupidest scene. It's not even like a scary Freddy scene. It's so dumb that I was so scared by this. But the scene where the tricycle with the blood on the tires like rolls into the room really slowly, and then melts, mm-hmm. and then you're, and then I don't know why. And I was just like, I don't want to watch this anymore. This is scary. <laughs> the crap out of me. I don't think I slept for like two weeks. So I was just like, every time I'd open my eyes when I was in my room, like you know, at night. With the lights off, I'd like look over by the door and be like, "Oh my god, if a tricycle rolls in here, I'm just gonna, flip. I'm, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna freak out," you know. So then, like, you know, when I got older and I realized it was all silly, you know, is when I just started really liking it. So I have like a lot of nostalgia for yeah. the Freddy thing, and yeah. it's still my favorite movie franchise of all time. I mean, how could you not love it? It's great, you know. Yeah. Even the bad ones are good. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's one reason why we don't really do them on the show because right. they're classic. They're, they're, they're too good. good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, of course, and then you have the Freddy, uh, like nursery rhyme you know the the little jumper thing right, right. one right. two phrase coming for you yeah. three four better lock your door Everybody five six right. get a crucifix yeah. seven eight stay uh up late. stay up late and nine ten phrase back again i mean or never sleep it's again. never sleep again i thought never yeah. sleep again never sleep again yeah okay and maybe I, i've heard both i think i'm sure you can twist know. it yeah yeah but maybe yeah, the, maybe the yeah but either way, so anybody yeah. knows if there's one definite one let us know uh, <laughs> so Moving on, we're gonna like I said, we're gonna honor this man, and I dug up a bunch of fun facts, uh, a lot of tidbits from him. Uh, so he was born August second, nineteen thirty nine, in Cleveland, Ohio, and it, we all know he died August thirtieth, two thousand fifteen, in Los Angeles of brain cancer. Um, he was the father of Jonathan Jessica Craven, who we've both talked about because they're both in this movie. And uh, so, moving on to some fun facts. Uh, 
The Elm Street is supposedly located in Potsdam, New York, a small town just south of the Canadian border. Craven was a humanities professor at Clarkson College, which was which was in Potsdam, P-O-T-S-D-A-M. So if I'm pronouncing it wrong, sorry. Um, rumored to have named his on-screen horror creation Freddy Krueger for a boy who used to bully him in high school. And... In 1976, he acted in Tales That Will Tear Your Heart Out, a project being made under the supervision of friend Roy Frumkes, who was teaching at a state university at the time. Shortly after, after the filming, the raw stock was mistakenly expo- re-exposed by another student, and so all the footage was lost. Bummer. Um, he donated to Planet, Planned Parenthood and Dreamcatchers Foundation charity a auction 10-minute personal phone call and two premiere tickets to his next motion picture at the time, which was Pulse in 2006. He also donated the original mask from Scream, so the original Ghostface mask in 1996, along two other original props. This auction started in June 2002, and the props auction ended in 2000, uh, the same year. But uh, So he did a lot of charity work. Uh, he was an avid bird watcher. Hmm. Um, his father passed away when he was four years old. He was a disc jockey for the campus radio station at Clarkson College, where he was a humanities professor. I just said that. Uh, he turned down the option to direct Scream because he, uh, the first scene in which Drew Barrymore dies reminded him too vividly of the climax sequence of The Last House on the Left, which was his very first film back in 1972. Mm-hmm. Um, not the remake, obviously. Uh, he... Directed a documentary about former President Bill Clinton. <laughs> weird. Craven and the cl- I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. That's weird. Craven and the film crew followed Clayton for three hours into the White House a few days before his departure, so near the end of his uh, reign. Hmm. Uh, his former son- son-in-law was composer Michael Mancini, uh, or Mac- yeah, Mancini, who was married to his daughter. Um, when actor-producer Robert Evans suffered a stroke in 1998, Craven was having a drink with him in Evans' screening room. When he collapsed in front of Evans' Lair Crypt, it really scared the shit out of the king of horror. <laughs> uh, he co-wrote the screenplay Pulse with Vince Gilligan. G- Gilligan. The script was based on some Japanese guy, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name, original Japanese horror film. And the final draft was in, done in 2002, but Miramax decided basically they weren't going to produce it at the time because it was too similar to The Ring. I don't know Pulse. Uh, I'm not familiar with that either. Yeah, I did it. see it. It's yeah. um, it's about it's kind of in a weird way similar to Shocker, only in the way that a demon or demonic essence gets released through the internet, and it's mm. an internet thing. It was released in 2006. I think it had like uh, uh, oh god, the Rock and Mars, Kristen Bell in it, and uh, Sam Levine and some other people. It, I do remember. I actually did remember seeing it. So just really slowly, because all they had is dial-up back then, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 2006. No, I guess, come, yeah, I I'll guess. come and get you soon enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, just wait. Just, just dial your computer yeah. real quick and wait for it to be done. Uh, now here's an interesting one. He's just spinning. <laughs> He's just a little spinning circle. It's like I'll be there in just a second. He was set. Reboot. To, he was set to direct Superman Four: The Quest for Peace in 1987, okay. but was replaced after creative differences with star Christopher Reeves. Ooh, so mm. Reeves Wes Craven basically had beef with, with, with yeah. Christopher Superman. Somebody call the Inquirer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, golly. Uh, his vision of Freddy Krueger came from a childhood memory. When he was 10 years old, he looked out the window of an apartment he lived in, and he saw a drunk man, or a hobo man, 
dressed similar to Freddy, who was looking directly at him from the street, and he continued to stay there looking at the window for several minutes. This scared him, so later on he decided to use this for Freddy's look. So I'm guessing the hat and the, the striped mm. sweater. Uh, he was profiled in the Hollywood horror from the director's chair, six filmmakers in the franchise of Fear. So documentary. This one is another interesting one I did not know. He directed one Oscar-nominated performance. He directed Meryl Streep in Music of the Heart, a 1999 film, which Meryl Streep was nominated for an Oscar Academy Award for. No kidding. It was like his first, like one, like almost like one and only non-horror-related right. films. Huh. Yeah, I never even, no idea. Yeah. Yeah. He had dysfunctional family relationship with his parents. His dad was never really around. His mom was super religious. And because that wet Craven never allowed his mother to watch his films, except for Music of the Heart. Um, and because his, his mother's judgmental influence caused him to be too terrified to talk to girls until he was at college, which led him to marry too early, in his opinion, and too young, and argue and contribute to the angry, bleak themes of his early films. Jesus. Like Last right. House on the Left, so a, Hills Have Eyes. So women are to blame is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> women Got screwed it. up his life pretty good. Hey, I mean, just confirmed everything I already believed. So no, that's okay. And also, wasn't Freddy Krueger's mom a nun? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah she was. So he was raped by like 15 by a, a million maniacs right, in the right, insane right, asylum. Right, yeah, right. in the third one, yeah. <laughs> um he was he authored a newspaper article about his current off the set downtime entitled Retirement Scarier Than Freddy Krueger in the New York Times. Uh, he based the Nightmare on Elm Street movie on a news report about a group of young men who had died in their sleep during horrific nightmares despite having no history of health problems and showing no specific cause of death. I did know that one, yeah. Yeah, I actually think I heard that one before too. Um, he's the only person to uh, uh, to direct more than one film in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. The first one, and then the new Nightmare in 1994. He didn't direct any letters. He wrote them, but he never directed them, and no other director directed more than one. Um, and then a few quotes of his that are just kind of worth, you know, things that he said that were worth repeating. Uh, I believe the cinema is one of our principal forms of art. It is an incredibly powerful way to tell uplifting stories that can move people to cry with joy and inspire them to reach for the stars. Or enjoy watching <clears throat> a girl get sliced open. Yeah. The, I, I enjoy that. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> the first <laughs> monster you have to scare the audience with is yourself. And these are quotes related to specific... I can see that. Mo- like, you know, if you can't, uh, you know, relate a little bit. You know? Yeah. Hmm? Um, and then this is a quote related to one of his movies, the 1995 movie Vampire in Brooklyn, which, yes, was a Wes Craven oh, movie with... I forgot about that. Uh, oh, Eddie Murphy. Oh, my God. We, well, maybe we have to do that one later on. <laughs> I was going to say, there's your Wes Craven movie, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, th- this is his quote. That was kind of screwed up thing because I wanted to work with a big star. <laughs> I suppose it could have been better if it were a horror movie, but it wasn't. Eddie, parentheses Murphy, didn't want to be funny. He wanted to be serious, and he was very difficult. On his 1996 movie, Scream, it's almost on a comic book level as far as the danger and also kind of soap opera-ish. He's dissing his own movies here. Yeah, I can can see that. That I get it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And on the original Nightmare on Elm Elm Street having sequels, I thought there'll never be a sequel. Boy, was I stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And finally... Um, horror films don't create fear, they release it. 
those are some, just some of the there were a lot of quotes I found, but those were some mm-hmm. of the more poignant ones I just thought were more relevant. Yeah. Um, as a writer, Mr. Craven had 36 credits uh, to his name. A lo- again, mostly horror stuff, lots of shorts. Uh, the last thing he wrote was a short about Freddy Krueger, Nightmare on Vape Street, which was in 2014, was the last thing. About getting blazed out or something? Like, yeah, what? Well, then there was... Using those vapor cigarettes. But this yeah, was like a, or, apparently uh, like a whole series of Krueger shorts, because there was Krueger the Slasher from Elm Street, Kruger, A Walk Through Elm Street, Kruger, Another Tale from Elm Street. Those were all shorts done from 2011 to 2014. Where can I find these? I don't know. I wanted to look up those myself. Second question is, did he have anything to do with the Nightmare on Elm Street TV show? I remember that. Do you remember that? I don't don't know if he ever had anything officially. Yeah, Freddy's Nightmares. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. He wrote 44 episodes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I like really he, didn't know so that basically, he wrote every all, yeah. well, or at least forty-four of them. Is he credited for the Fat Boys video? Uh, because when I was looking under some of his credits, I saw that and I was like, "Yeah, be kidding I believe me. somewhere. That's so crazy. I love it. Wes Craven did a Fat Boys video. Yeah, is, somewhere in here, awesome. I, I forgot I, about the Fat Boys. I saw oh my God. that. Um, now there is a few things like in his under his writing credits, like he did write "The Hills Have Eyes 2, the remake of "Hills Have Eyes 2 which he co-wrote with his son, Jonathan. Mm. Um, he wrote Pulse, The Hills of Eyes remake, and the original Freddy vs. Ghostbusters, which was another short. He wrote 2003. Where can I see it? I need that one to read, read that. that. Yeah. I mean, I just want to read that. Um, Freddy vs. Jason. He helped write and develop the characters, of course, with Freddy being it. Uh, but this, which uh, I loved. The New Nightmare, which, and then Nightmare Cafe, The People Under the Stairs, 1991. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Night Visions, Freddy's Nightmare, Shocker. I'm going in reverse order here. Nightmare on Elm Street video game, the NES LGN oh, video yeah. game. He, somehow he helped write that. You ran around and you like, get coffee and then you wake up so the things wouldn't attack you. Yeah, and you had, you, the, you had to get the boombox. You gradually fall asleep again. Yeah. yeah. God, that, movie, that game sucked. Um, it, it was, I mean, it was impossible. <laughs> yeah. It was a horrible game. Uh, the People Next Door, which was a TV series, Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Yeah, Fat Boys, Are You Ready for Freddy? He yes! helped write some of that, or did wow. had some involvement in that. Nice. Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, 2, 1. Hills of Ice Part 2, 1982. Uh, here's one I forgot was his, and people might not. Swamp Thing, 1981. Oh. That was Wes Craven. It's a good movie. Yeah. Oh, why I, was, I, thought, I always figured that was like Cronenberg or something. Like, uh, yeah, you know, but it's Wes Craven. Fly right around the same time. Right, yeah. Deadly Blessing, The Hills of Ice, The Fireworks Woman, which he... Wrote under the name Abe Snake. Well, it was his alias at the time. Hmm. It's a weird one. And his very first movie, Last House on the Left, in 1972. Is he a Harry Potter professor? Or? <laughs> yeah. <you> were... <laughs> now, I, I want to read about this uh, fireworks worm, which the plot is really fucking weird, which explains a lot, again, about his mom's relationship. Because it's about two siblings, a brother and a sister, who are like in love with each other. Ugh. And But the brother wants to become a about. priest. but the, Or the... Vice, I don't know. One wants to become a priest, but eventually they end up sleeping together. And now the whole Sexy. like yeah. relationship and him becoming <laughs> a priest is brought into question. So all this, again, more religious stuff and women. And it, so it's weird. I couldn't find to actually watch it, but I read the synopsis of it. Um, and then as a director, uh, he had 29 credits. Um, so. Is that a lot of stuff? He's, yeah. Well, the man died. Yeah. And I, Going to give honor to the man. So the last thing, well, I'll start at the beginning. Okay, house, house on the left, 
Firework, Hells of Ice. He wrote all those as well as directed them. Stranger in a House, Deadly Blessing, Swamp Thing, Invitation to Hell, Hills of Ice Part 2. Oh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Chiller, which is a TV movie. Uh, I qu- tried to find that one because I thought I wanted, I was like, that's one I can't. It was a TV movie? Yeah, it was uh, a yeah, TV I've movie. i heard of that. That's great. Yeah, yeah so, you know, 1984, which is why it's probably hard to find. Now, this one blows my mind. Again, just like uh, the Meryl Street movie. It goes way off from the way. Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color. He did a film, a TV series, an episode for Disney. Mr. Freddy Cougar, Blood and Guts did a Disney show. Wow. That's crazy. That's he owed somebody a favor, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, or his bookie money or something. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. His buddies with a Disney guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, D- D- Deadly Friend. He did five episodes of The Twilight Zone in the 80s. The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is a crazy movie. That's a weird That's one. That's a weird one. Shocker, Night Visions, another TV movie. People Under the Stairs. Nightmare Cafe, New Nightmare, Vampire in Brooklyn, Scream, uh, Scream 2, Music of the Heart, 1997, Scream 3, Cursed, Red Eye, which was uh, the movie oh, about I remember being like a play, uh, on a plane. Wasn't like Jodie Foster in that or something? I don't or? know if it was a Foster, but I, yeah, I, I remember watching it, but again, I didn't realize that was Wes Craven at the time. Uh, Wait, was that something similar to Turbulence? Remember Turbulence? Ray Liotta was in it. I don't know. Oh, gosh, I don't remember. This. I remember I... seeing Red Eye. And I'm trying to remember who the guy is. I know once I see him, I'm like, oh, it's that guy. But the actor, and I, I'm drawing a blank on him. Um, some French movie called Paris. I can't speak French, so uh, Paris La Charise. I don't know. I Paris La Charise. Yeah, My Thank Soul you. to Take uh, in 2006, and then his final film that he directed was Scream Four in 2010. I don't think I even knew that there was a Scream 4. Yeah, I saw yeah, it. They is, she, is the main girl still in yeah, it? Yeah, they like, brought all the original cast was brought back. Really? So, yeah. There's plenty. And actually, I had my doubts about it, but I did watch it. And, like, honestly, I thought Scream 4 was better than, like, 2 or 3. 2 and 3. Really? Especially 3. I thought it was pretty funny because I actually went to uh, go see this movie with uh, Melissa, my fiance, and one of her friends that I've met once or twice, and I don't like this guy. But we went to go see the movie, and we were the only white people in the theater. Uh-huh. And you can just imagine, there was a lot of talking, a lot of chit-chat going on. And I'm like, fuck it, it's Scream 4, I don't care. And he, he stopped, he's in the middle of the movie, he stands up, looks back, he's like, excuse me, can some of you please be quiet? People are trying to watch the movie. And everyone just starts laughing at him. And I was uh, like, oh, god good damn. A, good announcement, douchebag. <laughs> yeah. Way to be. Uh, All right, so that's our due, our, our, our tribute to Wes Craven. Um, I figured, I thought it was, you know, Needed to be said, shared what all he did for everything he'd given up. Uh, but before we go, would you recommend watching Shocker? Aaron? Uh, yeah, I think I'd recommend... You know what? No. No, I'm going to go back on it. I'm going to say no, don't watch it. It's if if it's an okay movie, but if you're going to watch a Wes Craven movie, you want to watch something a little different, I would leave Shocker on the shelf. All right. I think uh, I think I'd have to go with yeah. I think I, I would recommend it in, in a way that like you know, like I like to play tricks on people, and I would you know and be like yeah, man, it's great. You should definitely watch that. And then you know, and when they come back to me and go, hey, are, were you talking about the same movie? I'd be like, yeah, did you watch it? Yeah, I was joking. You know? <laughs> well, I disagree with both of you. Like, I agree. I say watch it. Just and yeah, it's got its flaws, and we pointed them out. But at the same time, it's so. Fucking banana! It's this bonkers movie. It's it's fun. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it mixes. I was like, yeah, it's got. A little, you can definitely tell it's crazy because the Nightmare on Elm Street 
is the same. Got a heavy, got a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street. Got a heavy Elm Street vibe. And you can almost argue this movie was influenced for the John Ritter movie Stay Tuned and maybe the Adam Sandler movie <laughs> Click because they all have the same as of people flopping through TV oh, and you, you remote know what, control you stuff. You know what I thought when I was watching it? I was thinking The Ring. Like the scene where he comes out of the TV was like, it was almost the same thing. And I was like, oh, at least that was scary though. I mean, this was just ridiculous. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, but if you like chaotic nonsense. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's, not just... as, it's, not, it's not Friday 13th. It's not Scream. So don't expect that going in. It's just a different kind of crazy 80s fun with an awesome 80s metal soundtrack. Um, so I'm going to say watch it. Just have fun with it and watch it for what it is. I say just That's listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that is going to do it for us. Um, what, Aaron, you want anything you want to finally say? Well, um, nope. Uh, I got my wedding coming up in a couple weeks, so pretty excited about that. So I may be, you know, missing a day here or there, but I don't plan on it. But um, yeah, just kind of really excited about that. Any closing words? Oh no! Thank you guys for having me on. It's been a blast. Like, well, thank you like for I so said, much. this is like a, one of my Wes Craven's so dear to me that like this was the perfect one for me. You know, like this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. So right. it's great. Yeah, awesome. thank you guys again. Oh, yeah. you're very welcome. I'm glad we could have you. Uh, for Horrible Horror, I'm Marshall Hampton. I'm Aaron Southworth. We will see you down the road. In the meantime, watch more horror movies. Take care. Hugs and kisses.